0: I realize that every year my eyesight gets worse and my font gets bigger, and so if it looks like I have a book, I do. There's like three words on every page. David mentioned the women's breakfast, um, and I think it's going to be wonderful. I wanted to read a tiny bit from one of the women who will be sharing as a teaser. She says, I was a really good evangelical Christian until my best friend from high school told me he was gay many, many years after high school ended, that he'd always been gay, that it had never felt safe to tell anyone, not even me, that his mother refused to acknowledge him, that he tried to change, that he went to healing conferences in hopes to be cured and leave straight, that he never went back to church after it didn't work. Wilderness, when our friend's infant son died as our prayers went unanswered. Wilderness, when our child was diagnosed with autism. Wilderness. Wilderness is the splitting up of a family, Wilderness is losing your community, even if it was worth losing. Wilderness is a best friend who never felt safe. Wilderness is a mother or father who can't have their baby back. Wilderness is knowing that there are no guarantees for your child's future and still being brought to your knees with the fear of how life will treat them. We have two women Leanna Cornelli and Kim Lehman, who will be sharing how their faith has changed over the years of following Jesus and how God has become so much more expansive and close to them along the way. So if you haven't signed up and that sounds like something you might like to be a part of, we'll have table talk, we'll have breakfast, um, and I think it should be wonderful. So join me in prayer. God, help us, still our hearts, to be present to you this morning. We know that you're always here with us, but it doesn't seem that we're always here with you. But even now, help us to be aware of your presence and your goodness. Amen. Well, this summer was supposed to be relaxing. Tom and I had some trips built in from before COVID. We have kids who live in California that we were hoping to visit. We had ideas for small groups and gatherings that totally jazzed us. It was sometime toward the end of May that my youngest engaged son called to tell me that they were, in fact, getting married at our house on July 16th. (laughs) Having already had three sons get married, I was used to the, hey mom, we're engaged phone call, Um, but then it was usually followed by, and the wedding is set for a year from now. At least when Tom and I got married, a year of engagement seemed about right to plan a wedding. Well, Caleb and Cordesia have been engaged for a couple years now, but their engagement happened during COVID, when people were postponing their wedding, so they never really set a date or started planning. And when Caleb called me to ask about the wedding and using our yard, I thought, that's so sweet. Like, I would love to host a small wedding for my youngest son. Kaylee and Deja estimated 35 people, which seemed doable. Even if weather um, was bad, we would just move into the house and be a little crowded. Well, over the course of the next few weeks, I felt my calm isn't this sweet veneer slowly slip away. My kids' 35 guests slowly morphed to somewhere between 75 and 80. Meteorologists were predicting the hottest summer ever. Thank you very much. And then planning a wedding with them in Colorado Springs and me here and trying not to take over, but still make sure the basics were covered, started feeling stressful. Eight days before the wedding, Caleb called to tell me he had COVID. I wanted to throw up. Four days before the wedding, I was in a staff meeting on Zoom. So I was at my kitchen table. Everybody on our staff was looking at me. I mean, we were all looking at each other. And my text, my phone lit up and said, Deja just tested positive. And I lost my mind. I forgot that I was on computer and that everybody could see me. I can't say every word that came out of my mouth. But it wasn't my best moment. While I'm in the middle of my tirade, just going ballistic, and I still wonder why David wasn't saying, 80, you're on computer. Um, Kaylee calls sobbing, saying, Mom, what does this mean for my wedding? When we finally decided to go ahead, the kids felt fine, and physicians were telling us, listen, there could be a new strain in three months. Anyway, um, we decided to go ahead with it. We now had all you have to do in those last three days, plus letting everybody know, oops, and by the way, bride and groom both have COVID. um, And then I watched as my daughter-in-law canceled everything that was not actually the outdoor wedding hair appointment, nail appointment, a wedding shower with our relatives that we had planned in a restaurant. Somehow, honestly, by the grace of God and a lot of help from friends, The wedding turned out fantastically. Um, And not just because it's my son's wedding, and I'm biased, and I probably think anything was fantastic, and not just because I adore Cordesia, but objectively speaking, it was great. The highs that day were in the low 80s, it was breezy. About 55 people actually showed up to celebrate, which I thought was a kind of miracle. Cordesia's mom made the best food. Ever and Cordesia walked down with her father, our aisle in my yard, both masked. But since the wedding, I've become obsessed with the idea of mental or psychological bandwidth. So the weeks leading up to the wedding, I kept asking people questions, To which they had already, I had already asked them before and they'd already answered me. And I could tell by the way they were responding, like, I wonder how many times she's going to keep asking me the same question. I was double booking meetings. Then I talked about myself a lot, like more than usual. I was kind of obsessed with me. I had to work to remember that there was life outside of me and outside of this wedding and that other people's problems were real and often way more serious than planning a wedding, which all in all is a joyful event. But the reason that this matters is that The advent of COVID sits on top of what we name all the time, on top of global warming, on top of poverty, on top of racism, throw in a war, and all that means. And psychologists are talking about how all of this impacts our bandwidth. So this is a quote from a psychologist. This is from earlier in the pandemic. The COVID-19 pandemic and its subsequent interruptions and shutdowns has been one of, if not the most disruptive event in our lifetimes. This disruption has affected us profoundly and in so many ways. Loss of life, loss of jobs, inability to visit family and friends, children not being at school, businesses and services being closed, the list goes on. All of those changes take place, take a toll on our sense of routine and our sense of order, which as human beings is something we crave. And with the uncertainty we've been thrust into, our brain's mental bandwidth has taken a hit. So really, before the wedding planning began in earnest, just existing these last few years, I've thought a lot about what feels like our shrinking bandwidth. And oddly enough, the thing that I longed for most coming out of the wedding was regaining mine. That's what I was talking to my friends about, that's what I was talking to Tom about. I was aware of how much stress of the wedding on top of life in a global pandemic with all the other things we name takes its toll. So one way to understand what we mean or what I mean by diminished bandwidth is this. Number 1 we're no longer able to contain all the data that we're consuming. It's like our minds file cabinets are too full or malfunctioning, and two, we no longer have the ability to declutter our minds, like we can't find empty space, like walking into a room that hasn't been cleaned for a long time, or like being in a constant state of overwhelm. So what I'm asking this morning is how does the ongoingness of COVID, which was going to last for three weeks and then maybe a year and then maybe a couple of years, and now I don't know that we see an end um, in sight, how the ongoingness of COVID and the state of things in our country and in our world, on top of just what it means to be alive, to have families and jobs and friends, and all of those vicissitudes. What is happening to our bandwidth? What are the implications? What could God be saying to us? And the scripture that I want to look at comes right after Jesus has been crucified. The disciples have gone back to fishing. So it's from the book of John. We're starting in verse 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. You can feel the discouragement the resignation in his voice like I'm going fishing. And I picture Peter and the disciples at this moment by now they have sustained a period of anxiety, grief, fear, loss. Arguably Their understanding of Jesus as Messiah, their understanding of what Messiah meant to Jesus was off, and much of what Jesus did in his ministry was to redefine Messiah. In shorthand, they're expecting a king and a revolution, and they end up with a servant and a crucifixion. Peter and his friends by now are completely freaked out. They watch as their hope is humiliated and killed. They watch Jesus suffer. They did nothing. And not only did they feel their own shame and impotence, but then they witnessed Jesus. It seemed like he couldn't get off the cross. He couldn't save himself. And they have no idea what this means, but they're pretty sure it's not good. And then I imagine their exhaustion. They've given themselves to something over three years. They've aligned everything in them toward this certain end. And up until that very end, they held out hope. And all of us who've lost a loved one knows the feeling of that desperate praying until the end or if you've had a bad breakup or left a church or an organization believing that it could change, praying till the very end. When we're emotionally distraught, when we've used up our energy believing in an outcome that didn't happen and our mind is swelling with that incessant chatter, we lose our capacity to think creatively. We lose our capacity to innovate. We lose our capacity to thrive, to live well, to find beauty, to care. It is impossible to hear God above the noise. So we do what we know to do. If you're Peter, you go back fishing. And the other disciples said to Peter, will go with you. En masse, they're going through the motions of being alive. Together, maybe mindlessly, lost in their grief and their confusion, they revert back. They get into a boat, and they catch nothing. Familiar and devastating, a cruel indictment, of the last three years. What had it all meant? A long night of fishing and no fish. Three years of doing life with Jesus and now he's gone. Just after daybreak Jesus stood on the beach but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he'd taken it off. He jumped into the sea, but the other disciples came in the boat dragging the full net of fish, for they were not far from the land, only a hundred yards off. It's Jesus. He's here. Nothing else matters. I recognize you. I see you. Peter runs when they'd gone ashore they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, and though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus served each disciple bread and fish. Our God who said, let the waters teem with living creatures. Our God who multiplies food to feed the multitude. God who sees their desolation. God of compassion meets them right where they're at breaking bread using the food that they caught once again partnering with humanity God reveals God's self I'm with you I love you come eat so how does this story speak to us in our prolonged time of stress where many of us struggle on and off with diminished bandwidth. I have five quick suggestions. One is we recognize our finiteness. It's simple. We just realize with all that's happening, it could be impacting us quite a bit. By now, we could have a new normal and not remember exactly what our old normal was. Which leads us to number two. Take the time to assess where you're at. I felt pretty narcissistic this summer, not even as a criticism. I had just used up my bandwidth on my, uh, myself and on my family. Peter has lost hope, and there's only one thing that he knew how to do. There's one thing that he could default to, and that was fish. Where are you? How has your life changed over the last few years? Is your bandwidth different? Maybe it's the same. Maybe it's changed. If you've cut out things, what are they? How do you feel about those choices? Number three, and I want number three to be go to God. Like, of course, that's what we want number three to be. But in our story, God came to them. So maybe our number three should be Find where God is in this moment. What are the bread and the fish that God is offering you? What kindness and mercy is waiting? Who has cooked a meal for you recently? Number four, discern what good, if any, can come out of this time helping create this wedding for my son, I actually felt like I grew. I learned new skills. I uh, did it. I actually hadn't thrown an event like that before, so I learned that I could do it. I exercised muscles that I hadn't before. And I absolutely loved the outcome. By the end, I would look at Tom and be with my kids. And we would just play over and over again, the people who helped make it happen. The beautiful vows, honestly, my kids said their vows. It was the first wedding I'd ever been where people said their vows and everybody clapped. They were beautiful. That said, it may not be your experience right now, that you're experiencing good coming out of all of this. Psychologists and mystics, alike remind us that it's in the dark night of our souls that we transform, that we find God in new ways. Number five, our story invites us into the mysteries of God. Jesus, who resisted the temptation to save himself, at the onset of his ministry in that lonely desert is the same Jesus who held fast at the end. Two bookend moments. The mystery in our story is that Jesus didn't save himself. Sometimes it takes time to make meaning of all that's happening in our world and in our lives. It takes time to understand mystery. Everything is layered and complex. And of course, there's some things that we just won't understand. And finally, number six, on a practical level, if you're wanting to increase bandwidth, find a prayer practice that works for you. Jesus goes to a solitary place to pray throughout His ministry again and again and again, at least in part, is what enables enables Him to go to the cross to live out His call. I do something called silent prayer, a Christian form of meditation. I share about this from time to time. But my practices, I don't know about you, my practices tend to fall by the wayside generally when I need them the most. Last week, I committed to doing 30 days of prayer for 20 minutes each day. I invited a few friends who I knew liked that particular practice to join me, setting their own times that they would do it and for how long they would do it, just for shared accountability. And if any of you would like to get in on that, there's still 21 days left, which is enough time to build a habit. You can email me and get in on those emails. Um, There is a lot of research by now, brain research, that suggests that at least 10 or 12 minutes a day of prayer or meditation helps declutter our minds, gives us more space, brings us peace. So find a practice that works for you. I'll end with this. The passage that we read this morning is... It's gospel, it's God's goodness to us, particularly in our suffering. The gospel writer says, for the third time, the third time, Jesus reveals himself to his disciples. In other words, Jesus is saying, I get that you couldn't take this in the first time, or even the second. I guess that that didn't just open you up to trust and hope again. Here I am a third time, the magical biblical number of whole or complete. And in this little moment in time, Jesus evokes the creation story, the temptations. He evokes the multiplying of fish and loaves. And of course, he reenacts the disciples' experience that launched their ministry three years earlier. But we can also hear Peter's thoughts with that first night three years ago when he says, go away, Lord, for I am a man of unclean lips. And now it's three years later and Peter recognizes God in his midst, but he's plagued with his own response to Jesus' crucifixion days earlier. I ran away, I got scared, I left you, Three times, like you predicted, I denied you. It is clear that Jesus finishes this passage not for his sake, but for Peter's. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lamb. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denies Jesus That magical number again, Peter's denial, his rejection of Jesus was complete. Three times, Peter affirms his love for Jesus. And so it is, Jesus is saying, we're good, friend. And three times, Jesus entrusts Peter with the church. You thought you were disqualified, son, but you're not. God cares about where we're at always. And if we look, we will find evidences of God's grace. Amen.